We were fucking social outcasts. We were the fucking people that nobody wanted to be doing things that nobody wanted to do and that nobody understood. Listening to music, dressing, hairstyles, everything. Nobody got it. We were fucking weirdos. We were the freaks. Uh, you know, that's how you rolled. That's how it was. That's what drew us to skateboarding. No matter what's going on, you go out and you go skating and it, it just all washes away because you have to be in that moment. How about getting off of these antibiotics? You want to dance with the devil? You know, you're going to fucking pay. How about stopping eating when I am full of... There's good things about skateboarding's popularity and there's bad things. How about them trying Today's the only guarantee you got. Tomorrow might not be around. How about that ever elusive good Just remember when. Thank you, India. Thank you, Tabor. Thank you, Sessionet. Thank you, frailty. Thank you, consequence. I'm trying to make anybody sad or anything. How about me enjoying the moment for once? You're still breathing, you know? We gotta carry on. Walk out the door, go slappy a curb. So like, raise a glass. Thank you, India. Thank you, terror. Thank you, Thank you, frailty. Thank you, consequence. Thank you, thank you, silence. The moment I let go was the Get out there and shred, man. Go out with your friends that you that you still got with you. How about unabashedly bawling your eyes out? Fucking go do this shit. How about not equating death with stopping? None of us would be the people that we are today without the friends that we've lost, and it sucks. And.
you know, we've all had to grieve that and, you know, move on. But like, they're all still with us. Fuck, they laughed, they cried, they tried. And uh, some of them were amazing skateboarders. a glass indeed locked up in my san francisco apartment i'm schmitty and this is talking schmidt today is episode 67 and we are coming in hot from our first tuesday off since i started this show today the amazing mimi noop Mimi is the ladies' coach for the Olympics. She turned pro in 2003. She's won five medals in the X Games, won the Women's Combi Classic, started her own board company named Hoopla, and also started the Women's Skateboard Alliance, which led to a full ladies' boycott of the 2005 X Games. Literally the night before, we just all met in the hotel room, like Kara Beth, Jen, Alyssa. I don't know, we had a solid crew and we just were like, let's just not show up and see what happens. And long story short, it got their attention and we were able to leverage that into price versus equality, uh, more exposure and also running our own events. Well, COVID-19 hit us hard and then Grasso almost knocked us out. But like Pato Bonton said, life is a struggle, but we never give in. No fucking way. These tough times, no doubt, will make us stronger, appreciate more, and not take things for granted. But kids, let me tell you a little secret. The older you get, the more this starts happening. This episode is my first attempt at a conversation not together in person, in which we recorded it using the application Zoom. So please excuse the telephone sounding vibes. We are dedicating it to Jeff Grosso, his family, friends, and of course his son, The Goo. So let me pass the mic to my guest, and let's kickstart the show. Hello, this is Mimi Noop, and you're listening to Talking Schmidt. It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again. Just give it the old cause time, isn't it? All big dogs in. Schmitty. 96 times, Schmitty. Thanks, Schmitty. We on? Schmitty. Talking Schmidt. That's called going to the hospital, bitch. I be <laughs> shit my pants. Man. Your Rolodex is fucking deep. I don't give a fuck about your fucking multi-million dollar numbers. Who is this guy who thinks he's tough shit? What's up? I'm here for Greg Smith. Hello, everybody, and 
I am trying something new for the first time. I'm Zooming here, and uh, I have the pleasure of, on the other line, talking with Mimi Noop. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. What have you been up to during this craziness? I've been in lockdown. Like I've, I've tried to isolate myself, you know, just to play my part of stopping the virus from spreading, but... Um, yeah, after about a couple weeks of that, I kind of was starting to crawl the walls a little bit. Yeah. So like I still go for runs and get outside and over this past weekend, I helped some of the, some of the local like skaters build a little launch ramp, you know, keeping like 10 foot distance from everybody. So yeah, trying to balance it all out at this point to stay sane. For sure. Uh, we usually like to start with like a little uh, background history, like the early days. Where where were you born and raised? I was born in um, Norfolk, Virginia. My parents both grew up there and my dad was in the Navy. So once I was about six or seven, we started moving around quite a bit. So yeah, kind of lived a little bit all over the place and then ended up back in Virginia for the last half of high school and college. So yeah, that's where my family, where, where many of them still live. Is that, did you start skateboarding in Virginia? Is that where you got your first skateboard and everything? I did, yeah. I um, One of the kids I played with in the neighborhood, you know, we used to play basketball. It was probably like six or seven. And um, he rolled up with like, a Nash skateboard from Toys R Us one day. And I'm like, what is that thing? And yeah, just fell in love with the feeling like first time I tried it. And that was, that was it. I was hooked. So do you remember kind of like those early days, what kind of things were, was people putting wood together or anything? Or were you like cruising down streets or like what kind of vibes were you getting into like right out of the gates? It was definitely just me and like one or two neighborhood boys, like in the beginning, we have no clue what we were doing or what skateboarding was like, remember being stoked on like stickers and the colors of the boards. Like I wasn't really, you know, thinking bigger than that. Um, But yeah, as I got older, we moved to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba when I was about eight and one of the dudes that worked in cargo at the airport there was like 22 year old guy. And he built us a little quarter pipe and taught us how to do axle stalls and stuff like that. So that's kind of when I started learning a little more was, was around those years. No way. What was Cuba? Like how, that was cause of the military, your, your dad. Yeah. My dad was a um, flight lieutenant down there and um, yeah, we lived there. I lived there from when I was eight until about 12. So it was like the perfect age for a kid to be on some random island. Um, but yeah, I just skated every day after school and snorkeled. I mean, it was <laughs> like that on repeat those years. So That sounds good. Yeah, there are good times down there. I love snorkeling. When did you see like your first magazine or like first pro or like what, when, when did you like get into like, this is more than just you and your friends cruising? It was definitely the Cuba days. Like there was this kid, they lived down the hill from me, Jason. He was one of the only other kids that skated. And I go to his house and he had magazines and he somehow got his hands on some of the Bones Brigade videos. And we were just blown away because, I mean, you remember up to that point, you see a photo of a trick in a magazine. You can't really tell what direction they're going. You don't really know how they got in that position. You're just like, whoa, that's pretty cool looking. But yeah, seeing video and like seeing everything in action for the first time, like blew our minds. We were just 
obsessed after that. Yeah, those, those Powell videos for sure. Same. Then you went back to the States and lived in um, Virginia until you finished high school? Actually, we moved from Cuba to Cincinnati, Ohio um, oh. in February. So we went from Cuba, tropical island, to like winter in Cincinnati. Um, <laughs> total culture shock for me. Um, so yeah, and then once again, you know, there were two kids in the whole town that skated. And so I made friends with them right away. They're two brothers and it was the three of us, like for the few years I lived there and we'd just build stuff and built a mini ramp in their backyard. Didn't know what we were doing, like, but just had sessions every day, broke out, you know, dad's video camera to film and yeah, just had our own scene going on. Neat. Did you, do you remember seeing like, uh, your first pro, like a Caballero sighting, like in real life? Yeah, actually, um, fast forward when I moved to San Diego, um, I would go skate the Ollie house in Temecula, like every Tuesday night um, with like Brian Fick and Augie Rodriguez with like a vert crew. And yeah, some of the pros would trickle in over there and I just was tripping like, cause I don't know. For for many of them, I just knew their graphics and their names. I didn't even know what they looked like. Uh-huh. So I was like connecting names with graphics in my head. And I'm like, holy shit! Like, I know what graphic that is. Like that guy's name. So yeah, it was it was a trip for me to be older and starting to meet those kind of people. So what made you move to California? So after college, I actually didn't know what to do with myself. So I moved to the Virgin Islands, and um, I became a wine steward down there for a year, and I was just living the life, um, you know, 22 years old, just working at night and partying and going to the beach and stuff. And long story short, that job was uh, through a hotel and I was going to transfer hotels and work in Europe the next year. Um, so I was about to get hired at a hotel in London on September 10th, 2001. And the next day, like everything changed. 9-11 happened. Um the hospitality business was shot. Like I couldn't even get my old job back in the Virgin Islands. And uh, I had a friend from college who I surf with all summer. And he was like, I'm moving to San Diego. It'd be way cheaper with a roommate. And I was like, oh, cool. There's surf there. Like I didn't even connect in my mind that like the skate industry was there. There were, you know, parks or anything. I just was kind of not in the know on that stuff. But yeah, jumped in the car two weeks later, moved to California to surf. Uh, with my friend from college. Um, that's kind of how I ended up out here. You did a lot of uh, hopping around as a youngster. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've lived a couple different lives. You know, it's given me good perspective on things, I think. And when I did get into doing contests and skating vert ramps and all this stuff I never had access to, like, I just, I feel like I might have enjoyed it a lot more than maybe I would have if I was pushed into that as a younger kid. So yeah, I've, I'm stoked that I got to experience all these different things. Yeah, Virgin Islands, Cuba, East Coast, Cincinnati. I've never been to Cincinnati yeah. somehow. There's good people there. Good yeah. people there. When you moved to California, is that when you met Jen and uh, Kara Beth and them? Yes, did- I knew. I was friends with Brian Fick on the East Coast. Uh-huh. I met Brian Fick in like 1999 in Virginia. And um. Brian had moved to San Diego the year before I did. And so I reconnected with him. We kept in touch like on email and stuff. And I reconnected with him and I moved out here. And he was basically the one that was like, 
too, there's these other girls that skate, like you got to meet them. There's all these skate parks. It's like a ma- such a magical place. Like he was so stoked. So yeah, he's the one that really introduced me to a lot of people, including like Tara Beth and Jen and the whole scene. What age was that? Like that was post high school, right? Yeah, I was, I moved to California when I was 23. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, I so- met them like the next, summer so I was maybe 23 24 when I met them so growing up like did you kind of was it what was it like being a female skateboarder back then did you see other girls in the mags did you see them around skating or did you feel like you were kind of doing something that most girls weren't doing like how how are you being looked at like what was that like as a young girl it was kind of gnarly um I definitely like was weird, you know, like got made fun of and stuff. Like tomboy. Yeah, exactly. Like I remember this is like just burned into my brain. I remember like the first day of seventh grade, I got made fun of for wearing bands. And it's like, look at bands now, you know, it's just, it was just so different back then. But yeah, I definitely stood out, I guess. I was like an outsider. And um, the reason I kept doing it and, and, you know, stayed true to all. So my parents really supported it and they were down for it. And, you know, they never made me feel like I was weird or anything. So having that kind of support, like do whatever you love to do. Like it was, I never felt that weird because of that, you know, it was nice Mm -hmm. to have that. What was the feeling that was driving you? Like, did you, were you inspired by others or was it mostly just how you felt when you were doing it? What was driving you to keep doing it when you were getting like harassed and stuff? through all that stuff it definitely was just the feeling like just the feeling I would get from skateboarding and I wasn't very good like I literally could do like two tricks you know like it wasn't like I was trying to progress and learn all this stuff I I actually didn't even get keyed into that kind of thing till I was much older so yeah it was really just the feeling like I loved it yeah it was a great way to get away from my parents and go do stuff on my own you know and come back when it was dark every night so when you moved to california where did you settle in so i moved to pacific beach in san diego yeah with skate mission valley and then i hadn't really learned how to skate bird at that time i was skating like the street course and little mini ramps and stuff in the back but the claremont skate park opened up after that and learned how to drop in on vert got that figured out and then it was just like i became obsessed with vert skating and and the pool there at Claremont, like it was a rad pool that um, was pretty unique at that, during that era, like there weren't many places like that to skate. So yeah, I just go to Claremont every day, worked like nine to five, would skip my lunch so I could get down there and like skate 30 minutes before the sun went down. And it was just like the best, the best memories there. Rad. Who, what was the crew that you would meet up with in those days? It was an odd mix of like, older guys and younger kids. I skated with like Mike Stelmaski and Jim Tesner and I think Blender would even come around back then for a few years and like Peter Hewitt, Darren, Sam, all those guys. And then like Alex Harrelson and Josh Stafford were little kids. Like they were there every day. They were probably like 11 or 12 and so it was like a mix of skating with them and skating with like Navarrete and those guys every day. Yeah. Pete and Darren still go there a bunch. When I go down there, they usually have like a day where they go there for sure. Yep. Yeah, they've been keeping it going. It's cool. So then you started to 
get better and better. And then did you get photos taken or that was before video probably, right? Yeah, I definitely don't have a lot of video stuff. Basically went to a session at Bob Bernquist's house with Jen and Carabas. And they're like, dude, you got to escape vert with us. Like they got me to drop in. And then two weeks later was like a solo contest. And they're like, we need more girls. And I'm like, I literally just dropped in. Like I'm scared shitless to even <laughs> be over here, you know? But like, they just like made me skate these contests with them. And I'm like, shit, I guess I have to do it. Like, but yeah, they were really, you know, motivating to skate with. They're like ripping. I'd never seen women skate before. And Lindsay Adams Hawkins is around too. Like mm-hmm. just, those are the those are the women like pushing vert skating at that time and um so yeah it was really contest oriented and things spurred out from you know just being out there and being a new face and entering contests and doing that kind of stuff and did you know who Carabeth was before you met her i had no clue like i didn't know anything i mean it's kind of weird that i didn't know a lot of stuff but i think it also like kept things fresh for me you know so there was no like fanning out or anything it was just like i know she was the first girl on a thrasher cover i think it was like in 89 or something like yeah so then you started to kind of gain knowledge on who they were and you started doing contests and stuff did you get photos in the mags or anything you know i i started writing for nikita clothing um you know they paid me a little bit of money which was like a huge deal and for me at the time, I was like, holy crap. And that was your first sponsor. Yeah, that was like my first real sponsor. And they were really rad. They were based out of Iceland and just they were just down and they did a lot of PR stuff. Like they got some ads in Trans World, like some actual skate shot ads, which are unusual for the time. I mean, usually it's like girls modeling stuff. But yeah, they were down to like print skate shots and buy the ad space. Uh, and then Burnett actually, I shot with Burnett. Uh, probably like 2004 so I got yeah I got a little coverage there like that was that was cool at the time do you remember what mag it was oh god um like where you got your first photo that you saw in print I think it was concussion magazine do you remember that yeah it was like a small mag yeah I think that was like the first one I think I I was doing like a smith stall or something and deep in the claremont with like a cast on oh shit yeah that was definitely it Okay. And then uh, I talked to Jen earlier and she said to um, ask you about the uh, 2003 tour that you guys did. It was like an original all girls tour. You know what? I was not on that tour. That was like right right before. Yeah, that was right before I was like skating with those guys. Oh, okay. I was not on that one. The first trip I went on with Jen and CB was to Australia for one of those globe events in 2004, I think. And I was working like nine to five and I, I had some temp job or something. I think I had just gotten like laid off or the job had finished. I had no money. And they called me. They're like, dude, come with us to Australia. And I'm like, you guys nuts. I got to work. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, they talked me into it. So I got a credit card and just put everything on the credit card and like, went to australia for a month yeah they they were always trying to get me to go do stuff with them but that that 2003 tour is like right before i started hanging with all of them Uh, okay is it true that you're afraid of heights yes i'm definitely afraid of heights that's why vert skating was so difficult 
Yeah, like what's that like when you get close to the edge of the the ramp? I know, like on these bigger ramps, I'm not really afraid of heights, but like I'm, I get nervous just walking close to the coping sometimes. Yeah, it's not. It was gnarly for me. Like I would get dizzy and stuff, and I'd have to just like not think about it. But Brian Fick actually helped me with some of that. He would always just tell me to get comfortable running and like jumping in the ramp, and so. We'd literally just like, if we were board skating or the session was weird, we just run and like knee slide down the ramp in different ways. And I think that kind of got me more comfortable at the time. What were some of the early moves you learned? Like was your first uh, backside air or frontside air or something after grinds? Definitely frontside anything. I was, I've never been, I'm like, you know, people are either good at frontside or backside. I was definitely the frontside person. Um, really? Yeah, I just learned anything I could frontside. Anything that was somewhat a version of a frontside air, I would try to learn it. What was the contest vibes? Did you start getting better in placing and stuff? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was skating with Carabath all the time, and she was just like leagues ahead of everyone ability-wise. So it pushed me to learn stuff um, and progress. And yeah, we had a couple contests each year and that definitely um definitely started doing better in those and like getting on the podium and stuff like that so now we get to talk about um something i'm sure you've talked yourself blue in the face about but uh we have to talk about the action sports alliance all right how did that all start so yeah i mean going back to the contest scene in those years the women that have been doing them they've been around for a while so And I was kind of just new to the whole scene. So I didn't really, and I was working a regular job. So I didn't really like, wasn't really keyed in on, you know, the challenges that everyone faced at first. But yeah, the Action Sports Alliance came around because we wanted to actually try to create change for our events through the help of a guy named Drew Mearns, who is a, he used to be a sports agent. He's a lawyer. He kind of helped guide us, but was like, look, you guys have leverage if you work together. And yeah, so just in a really kind of organic way, we all decided to boycott the 2005 X team. And so literally the night before, we just all met in a hotel room, like Carabeth, Jen, Alyssa, I think Vanessa, like a few of the Brazilians, um, Katiani. I don't know. We had a solid crew and we, you know, maybe Amy Corona and we just were like, let's just not show up and see what happens. And Long story short, it got their attention and and over a period of time, we were able to leverage that into um, price versus equality, uh, more exposure and also running our own events. So this was strongly in response to the X Games not giving the girls the same attention as they were giving the guys, right? Yeah, there was definitely, like if you won first place in those years, like if you were Alyssa in street or Carabas and Vert winning first place, like you couldn't even pay for your hotel and travel. Like it wasn't enough to sustain any of the costs associated with, you know, doing these events. So like it didn't, it was a hobby, you know, it wasn't a professional career path. Like maybe it was on the men's side, but even more so than that, uh, I like to share with people like we really did want to create a voice for ourselves too. Like it was more than just getting prize money. It was like, all right, we want to make this legit and make sure the right people are invited to these events and just elevate the whole thing, you know, and have it represent us better than it was at the time. 
Yeah, it's been really remarkable to see like the whole thing evolve. Like even in the last, I don't know, six or seven, eight, however many years it's been that I've been covering the girls contest, I've seen the evolution like a lot and just how it's been getting fed more and more and attention and all that stuff. It's been really cool. Yeah, it's, it's snowballed in the best way possible, I think. After that, though, the X Games, they X-nayed the girls' vert, right? Yeah, so I want to say that was around 2010. They cut the, the women's vert contest immediately overnight behind the scenes. We were like, you need to add in another trans- transition event. Like, you need to add in park. You need to – there are girls skating, you know. Um, there's a place for this. And it took a few years, but then we were able to help get park added in for women a few years later. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was a blow at that time. A lot of sponsors dropped people after that. Like it was rough for a little bit there after that. But they, uh, ESPN remained working with us for Women's Street. So we still were there running Women's Street during those years where Bert wasn't there. Um, and that's kind of like when Alexis came along and, um, Marissa was winning. And so it was kind of like, you know, wasn't as great as it could have been, but it was cool that that those guys still had their event too. Do we know what's going on with Marissa? Yeah, I talked to her probably, I don't know, maybe about a year ago. She's just doing her own thing. She's, you know, skating with her friends and we all miss her dearly. Like her energy is just so awesome and <laughs> she just brings something so rad to the whole scene. And yeah. But yeah, she's just living her life, you know? I mean, her video part's one of the gnarliest ones of all times is so fucking heavy. I agree. Still, um, even by today's standards, ten years later, it's so gnarly. Yeah, for sure. I, I like. I've been in discussions. Hey, I want to film this girl's video. We're gonna do a video part. Da da da. And like the conversation has gone strict straight to like, have you seen Marissa's part? What well, is it gonna be up to that par? Because that was like ten years ago. <laughs> I was like, oh fuck. <laughs> So the X Games thing, and then um, was that around the same? No, that was later than the combi, though, right? Yeah, so the combi, man, all the years are melting into one in my head. Um, I want to say that's probably about the time that that Steven Doran sat us down, like a few of the top women, like, um, Amelia, Lizzie, Carabeth, myself, a few others in like a room in the back of the combi. And, um, he's like, look, we're going to, used to be called Protect Pool Party. And he's like, we're going to separate out women and the younger kids from Protect Pool Party. And we're going to give you guys your own event. And, you know, you can call it whatever you want. Like we, you know, just want to separate out, give you your own space and, um, so yeah, that's when we came up with the combi pool classic. Um, and I drew up a logo for them and, um, yeah, it started off slow, but then I feel like each year it was just like so many more people would show up and it really became its own thing that could stand on its own two legs, you know? So before that though, were the, the few girls that wanted to skate, would they skate with the men? Were they, were they in the same heat as yeah. the men? Okay. Well, no, we had a women's division, but it was just like before the masters started, I think. I don't Uh know how I remember this, but yeah, it was like women in the day, maybe start at like three 
and then it's masters and then it was pros and that's kind of how the pro tech pool party event ran such a long day it was so fun though that contest was like so raw and crazy back then i've never understood the difference between the banners like there's girls names on some of the banners with the dudes and then it changed to a girls only banners at a certain year and i'm guessing that that's when they broke off and started the girls only date like there's a whole different date where the girls skate in a separate yeah, contest yeah. okay and i then, think that's exactly what it is and so how was was that celebrated or is how how do the girls look at that do they like that or, or is that not what they wanted at that exact time when it first happened everyone was really upset because they're like no we want you know yeah the best thing you can have as a skater is to be accepted by your peers and i think for a lot of those girls like they were just coming up and they hadn't had that moment to like shine yet you know so i think for some of the younger ones at that time they were like kind of devastated like wait we want to be in with like the guys we look up to and but yeah, yeah i think that was tough like it did turn to something that uh, was respected. And a lot of those dudes did start coming and watching like the women's event um, years later. But yeah, there were mixed emotions for sure. Yeah, because like talking to Kara Beth, like she, when I was talking to her, she would just say like, I didn't give a shit. I just went to skate. Like if there was 20 dudes and just me, I was still dropping in when I wanted to drop in. And if it was 20 girls in me, like it, it didn't matter to me. And uh, yeah. Aly Alyssa always has said, like, I didn't want to be considered the best girl skateboarder. I just wanted to be a good skateboarder. Definitely. I think that's how we, we all feel, I mean, myself included. But then on the other side of the coin, if it is like uh, girls only, then it opens it up to more people that are maybe going to be a little timid that aren't there's a select uh group of girls that have the access to skating with everybody and then there's girls that are on the outside of that that are going to be too intimidated to get anywhere in those atmospheres so this kind of opened it up to making it so that more girls could be in the mix i remember going to the vans park series the first year and there was like literally it seemed like there was a lot of girls in it that could barely do a grind, you know? And and then you got Lizzie and Alicia and the good girls, and you could just see the difference. But then as the years evolved, you're like, remember that girl that could barely do a grind? Now she's the girl in the top three or something, doing alley-oop 50-50 to lift slide or something, you know? So it's been, I could see it both ways, in other words. Definitely, yeah, I think, it definitely allowed for like an entryway for new kids to get involved and feel comfortable. Um, and we did see like an increase in participation of like of younger girls at those events. So, yeah. And I think it was part of the time too. Like it's just all of a sudden, you know, skateboarding became more accepted and, and accepted by like families and mainstream, you know, America. So it's like, the dad's going to go skate with his little kid, a little girl at the skate park. You know, that became like a normal thing and, and it right. wasn't like that before. So that's right. probably part of it too. Yeah. And then what year did you start Hoopla? Uh, we started Hoopla around 2007. I think the first graphics were printed in 2008. 
we basically created a created the brand at the time just to fill a void. Like there there weren't like trips where you could jump in the van and go film. You know, it just wasn't happening. So our our idea was to create a brand where we could go do those things and fill that fill that space basically. Did you start Hoopla before or after the uh, Action Sports Alliance started? Uh, a couple years after. after. Yeah, a couple years after. Okay, and then that was kind of bittersweet. I'm assuming that you saw everything grow to such a degree that some of your girls started leaving for other companies and i'm sure on one hand you're like fuck yeah it's so sick like alicia's writing for creature or like samaria's writing for enjoy like this is what i've always dreamed of but on the other hand they're leaving your company that you've started and kind of grown these girls um was that eating you up like what how were you feeling it was definitely a mix of emotions um nora was actually the first one Mm-hmm. Um, cause she started working at welcome and then they were like, we really want you to ride for us. Like you're in here working with us. Like, and that was the very first person. And that, I think that one hit me the most. I was like, Whoa, like, I felt like someone was like breaking up with me, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, but then I was like, I would see Nora and like the stuff she was doing with welcome after that. And I'm like, Oh my God, like she fits on that brand, like that brand, they're supposed to be working together, you know? And it kind of open my eyes a little bit and then a few years after that is when the kind of popularity peaked with women's skateboarding and the legacy brands you know started wanting to add women to their teams and yeah Samaria was the next one and we had a long talk and we were both upset you know and I'm just like dude you have to do this like this is so cool (laughs) Like, like I know I'm not doing my job right by telling you that like this is not a good business call but like you have to do this like yeah, it was exciting. It was like we've been all been wanting this to happen and the whole point, you know. So like, yeah, it's I'm I'm hyped for everyone and like it it happened how it was supposed to, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember those times and just being like, "Ooh, how do you feel that from your perspective is it a little weird seeing like a company take each company take one girl like it's the token girl or do you not look at it like that?" look at it like that i actually think you have to start somewhere and Uh it's the right thing to do um and there's on a business standpoint there's a market there now i mean there's value for these brands to be adding women there's value for them to be hiring women to work for them as well and i think that's the next frontier that needs to kind of be tackled like you're going to market to this demographic you need someone that understands that demographic yeah i think it's I think it's fine. I think it's a great start. And I think 10, 20 years from now, it's not going to maybe be so black and white. It'll be just like no one will even think about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, what about uh, weird moms? <laughs> I definitely know some weird moms, but you know what? <laughs> They're all pretty awesome for the most part. I appreciate everyone and the personalities that, you know, we all kind of deal with in skateboarding, like, I think skateboarders in general are pretty eccentric for the most part. And um, yeah, sometimes some of the parents are too, but we've literally traveled the world together for years and I have an appreciation for them. And I think, uh, I think for the most part, there's really good people involved. Without throwing anybody under the bus, could you share one of the crazier stories? Oh God. Um, 
I don't think I want to, no. Okay. <laughs> At contests for me when I was filming the contest i used to laugh because the moms would come up and talk to me like they knew me and then i was like is this like them trying to get friendly so that i film more of their daughter i was always like it's really interesting i mean it's the same with dads too like it's not any uh you know discrimination on female versus male but like oh. the dads are equally as weird and crazy believe me there's definitely a little bit of that i think there's a little bit of that with any you know thing with kids where they can advance in some way you know i've actually taken the time to sit down some parents and say hey look if you want your kids to you know have a great experience doing this you need to back off and go chill out like go drop them off at the park come back and get them later you don't need to stand here and like watch everything they're doing and instruct them like you're not a skateboarder so yeah i try to take the opportunity to maybe help explain things to them uh -huh. so then the kid has a better experience i mean you're not going to be a kid forever and it's like enjoy being a kid man you're going to be like 20 years old soon you have to pay bills and everything else like i just think it's important to not make it so serious for some of these kids yeah somebody should have had that conversation with the uh, kid's dad that got kicked out of the van's combi and couldn't come back in there oh my god well there's also some people it's just you just don't even go there you know just <laughs> back away back away slowly one thing we forgot to mention about the combi is you won it twice right i won it once you, you won, won it once 2008. Okay. 2008 yep i probably ended up on the podium a few times but i definitely only won it once do you remember that oh yeah i remember it i um i remembered it because i don't really i never really won a lot of contests like i always was like second or third you know and contests for me were a good way to push myself and like get past being scared of like trying to land something. But I never was one of those people who was like, I want to win, you know, I just like, this is a means to an end so I can skateboard full time. Like that's what this is. So like, I just tried to play it in a way that made sense for me and also um, not let it take over my life, I guess. Sure. You know, Navarrete, he recently won uh, his division one year and he said, you know, I don't know, jokingly or not, but he he referred to it as one of the biggest career accomplishments for him. Like, how big and important is having your name on those banners? It just seems like such a cool thing and its tradition and like to be up there with the greats. Like, that must have been pretty amazing for you. It definitely is pretty cool. And I remember that year never at one. We talked about that a lot. Like, that was that was awesome. I remember when that happened. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of surreal in a way. Like, I would never expect that I would do something like that, especially like my younger self. Um, it's a cool experience to have had. And yeah, to, to see your name up there, everyone wants that in the combi. Like, it's, it's definitely special. Let's take a quick time out and hear from some of our friends, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. And now, a few words from our friend Brian Fick. Hey, what's up, Schmitty? Hey, man, thanks for asking me to do a little or say a little something about Mimi, man. Like, uh, I've known her for a really long time and we actually go back 
decades. Um, I first met her when I lived on the East Coast, and we've gone on several skate trips, missions, sessions. Man, they've all been like really good times. We really, really like skating with Mimi, man. She's a great person. And I'm sure if anybody's had that same run in with Mimi, they'd say the same thing, man. And, uh, you know, one of the, I think one of the words that I really think about when I think about Mimi is integrity, man. She's got tons of it. And, uh, since you asked me to do this a couple days ago, I've, uh, you know, there's one thing I've, uh, always kind of remembered about her is that it took her forever to finally drop it on a vert ramp, man. She'd always be there at the sessions and, yeah, I knew she could do it, but it took her a really long time. And when she finally did it, man, it was just like the gates were open and she just let loose and showed everybody what she had. But uh, anyway, man, I, I can't wait to see this interview about Suffolk's finest. But uh, anyway, man, happy Easter. Love you guys. And uh, can't wait to hear it, man. Take care. Bye. Public service announcement. Um, Corona virus edition. Look, we've already gone a month cooped up freaking out wanting to go skate watching videos and just trying to stay positive we got to go a little bit more california has made a difference so just stay cooped don't go smoke a joint with your buddy don't go to the skate park and high five all sweaty don't go get a starbucks don't go get a mcdonald's stay healthy stay safe one more month and we're gonna make a big difference california fucked it up this time we did it stay positive we're almost there guys what other stuff are you doing Besides skateboarding with your free time, you do art, right? Yeah, I've actually like turned into a runner. I've been running a lot, um, oh. running and surfing. And, um, but yeah, I run probably four times a week, maybe five times a week. And it works because when I travel, I can do that, you know, no matter where I am in the world. So it keeps me feeling like I'm somewhat in shape. It keeps me sane. Yeah, other than that, uh, probably surfing and you know just hanging out with friends mainly are you early morning runner or do you just run whenever you feel like it or i definitely am not a morning anything um <laughs> i schedule all my work after 10 or 11 i just even if i wake up earlier than that my brain is not functioning like yeah. at high capacity like i'm definitely a midday afternoon person uh -huh. Um, yeah, I, I run probably the worst time of the day, like right in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the hottest. day. Yeah. Everyone thinks I'm crazy. They're like, why do you like 90 degrees and sunny out like two in the afternoon? What are you doing? Yes. <laughs> That's what I like to run though. So do you have any, um, tips? Like do you use an app or listen to music or both or neither? Or? I actually bought a Garmin watch, like going to sound like a total jock now, but yeah, I, I bought a Garmin watch just to kind of understand my heart rate and how that works. Andrew Cannon actually helped me with some of that because he's kind of been doing triathlon stuff. Talked to him about it. He's like, yeah, you should totally get one. But yeah, I got a Garmin watch and I use Strava too, like the app just to like, I get kind of competitive with myself and like try to beat times on certain little segments and stuff. I don't know. It keeps me engaged. You have to, right? Because yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's what it I It keeps it fun do. in a way. Because if you don't have something to beat, then you don't have the the drive to do it. Exactly. I get pretty crazy sometimes running, so <laughs> it can get addictive. Those those times can get addictive to try to beat. Yeah, I was I was jogging for a bit, and then uh, I kind of tweaked my knee a little bit. It's really hard, like running on the cement. Yeah, I run trails a lot. 
to like, I'll throw in some like gnarly hills and just like listen to music and try to sprint the shit out of the hills. And yeah, it's definitely easier on my joints than like running down the street for sure. Yeah. Uh, do you got any pictures still on your wall? Any uh, in your office or at your home of your like some skate shots or of anybody? Is still on my wall. You know what? I actually had a bunch printed out and like framed them, but I haven't put them on the wall yet. Um, (laughs) So I'm a little behind on that. Who do we got? I've got a bunch of my got a bunch of my refrigerator though. Um, I have some of Nora and Alana Smith, and then I have some like just fun trip shots with some of like the girls from events that we've gone to like Alexis and Leo and Samaria. So I just need to get them all up on the wall. Right. Yeah. I just moved in with my fiance and we're about to do the same thing. I'm trying to, we're trying to like actually do it digitally. Like I made Photoshop documents of like the size of the walls and different things. And then we're going to like put the elements in there, move them around, figure it out before we put them up. So it's like, this is how we want it. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's awesome. That's smart. I should have done that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we got to talk the Olympics. Oh yeah. I was waiting for that one. It's crazy, right? It got postponed or what? Yeah, it got postponed. I mean, the whole thing's been a wild roller coaster anyway. So yeah, it's a uh, one more one more thing to add to it. But I honestly think it could end up, you know, benefiting some people now that they have eighteen more months rather than us rolling right into this thing a few months from now. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. What's your role? So I'm working with uh, USA Skateboarding. I'm um, the high performance director, and I'm also the women's coach, women's team manager. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, I basically work with Josh, who's the CEO, and uh, I help run the national team programs. And then I'm also in charge of women's park and street. So when we go to an event, like I'll be there just, it's basically like I'm another arm of support for the skaters. So like if we go to an event, I'll just be there. Like if they need help with, um, cause it's this whole new point system and you have to follow, you know, what points you get certain points for certain events. There's a certain number of stops. So it's really like a math problem at the end of the day in terms of being strategic and intentional about the contest. Um, so yeah, it's a little different from a normal skate contest. The contests have nothing to do with street league or the Vans park series or anything. It's their own contest or from my understanding, it's kind of like a partnership. So street league was the official pro tour last year for the street qualification system. And all that means is they still run street league as is, but they're partnered with world skate, which is the international federation for skateboarding. Mm -hmm. And World Skate is the one that's in charge of, like, running the event, creating the point system. Like, they're kind of like the sport organizer of the Olympic events, basically. But Vans Park Series is not part of that. They kind of are doing their own thing. So the points would, like, the people that skate in Street League and the do tour, those contests would count towards the Olympics? Correct, yeah. So there's just street and park, no vert, right? Right. Yeah. Just street and park. 
uh, for men and women. So yeah, four four events total in Tokyo. And how many people are they taking for each category? Each country has maximum number of three skaters that can qualify. So like for the U.S., we can only qualify three out of the whole country for each gender and each discipline. So the most skaters we can take to Tokyo are 12. Um, now those skaters have to be ranked in the top 20 in the world skateboarding rankings. Um, so that's all the other countries as well. They're added in there as well. So, but you can only have three per country, right? So let's say men's park, there's a bunch of Americans and there's a bunch of Brazilians. There might be more than three from a few other countries, but you can only take three from each place. So it actually, it ends up extending down to like maybe 36 places or something rather than 20th. And all each continent has to be represented as well. Um, that's confusing. How do they have people in the top 20 from every continent or country? So it's not, a, it's not, every, it's not people represented from every country. It's people represented from every continent. So oh, um, okay. Asia is one region. Um, so that's like, Japan, China, like they're all in the same region. And then Oceania is Australia. Australia is in a region by itself. It's its own continent. Then you have Europe and you have the Americas and Africa as well. So yeah, so each region has to be represented. And so you're going to see like a spectrum of ability level because of that as well. But yeah, that's like an Olympic thing from what I understand. Okay. Um, and is, so do we have a team yet or we, we have a team, but it can change or I'm, that was, I was confused on that as well. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people are confused on that. So the way it works is we have a U.S. national team right Uh now. And we also had one in 2019. And all that means is those are the top rank Americans for that year. And they receive funding and support from USA skateboarding. That does not mean they're automatically qualified for the Olympics. It just means that they're receiving support to hopefully qualify once we get to that point. So can can you or whoever, you know, the powers that be, can they hand select like, uh, for example, let's say Brighton wasn't doing good, but they wanted Brighton in the Olympics. Could they bring her in or is it only according to points? only results based so yeah there's no just we call it discretionary selection and there's no discretionary selection um which i think is the fairest way to do it uh we we try to approach it to keep it as legitimate and as fair as possible for the skaters involved and you know so yeah it's results based and what we did on the u.s team in between 19 and 20 those two years we did add in some language because we had a lot of injuries and we added in some language like, look, if you were taken out from an injury or like an extenuating circumstance, like your, you, you know, your plane didn't make it or you had the weather canceled the event, then we were able to add those people onto the U.S. team in addition to the people that earn the spots through ranking. So we were able to, we were able to add like six extra people to the team. So that was, I was pretty stoked on that just to be able to extend that support. Mm. Who are the ones that are like, there now um you mean top ranked yeah um on the women's side uh let's see let's see if i can do this from memory 
We have Mariah. I'm going to tell you in order. We have Mariah Duran, Alexis Sablon, Alana Smith, and Samaria Brevard. Okay. Um, so that's our women's street team. And then on the park side, we have Bryce Wetstein, Brighton Zoyner, Jordan Barrett, Ariana Carmona, Mena Seth, and Jordan Santana. Huh. Yeah, so the, those are the kids that went to the event and accrued points. So it's all results-based. Um, okay. Nicole Haas is on the 2019 team, but then she had like this really bad knee injury that just kind of took her out for a while. So yeah, Nicole, Nicole rips, but yeah, it's results-based. So we have to honor that within the right. system and keep and, it fair, you know? And Nora is not really into the competition anymore. Yeah. Nora's, well, she probably will still do some contests, but she's, she's not interested in pursuing the Olympic path, um, uh-huh. which is totally fine. Like, I think it's great. Like she's able to, to kind of do her own thing and that's huge that's that's new in women's skating to be able to have that choice you know right and what about leo so leo kind of went back and forth they just were not resonating with the whole contest thing i mean they had this whole career where they were dominating and winning street leagues and i think it was the kind of thing where they just were ready to do they're ready to go after other projects and other initiatives and focus less on contests. And they really like thought about it for a long time. And um, yeah, they called me in January and they're like, Hey, I'm, I think I'm out. You know, I'm like, all right, good for you. Like you need to do what's right for you. And like, I back that we back that, like you have our support and let me know how I can help you. You know? Yeah. yeah they're, they're doing their own thing and they're stoked. So it's sick. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal. Regard, like whatever, you got to be fully in or you're out. Yeah. Um. What What are some of your concerns? What are you like worried about as far as it all goes? Well, right now, with, I mean, specifically with this pandemic, I'm concerned about how this might work. You know, I mean, we're probably going to need a vaccine, really, if I had to speculate, like before we could all be in one place again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of question marks and I, I feel for the kids that have already put two years into this, like they just put their blood, sweat and tears into this. And like the material line there, the, the finish line is not materialized yet. And we, we aren't going to know a lot of things for a long time. I think that's, that's tough. That's tough for them. Mm-hmm. What about like more specifically, like, <clears throat> What's going to happen once it is going on? Like, are we going to have snowboarder announcers? Are we get like judging? Like, is it going to be representing skateboarding the way we want it to be? I hope so. I actually don't have a lot of answers on that kind of stuff either. Um, World Skate is definitely going to be the entity like responsible for judging and the execution of the actual event. So yeah, I'm hoping they, you know, get their their process sorted and super ironed out before next summer um uh hopefully it'll go well but like i think in the end it is an opportunity and i think it's what you make of it and i think uh it'll be especially great for women and little girls that are watching and um you know people in other countries that maybe don't have the same things accessible to them have the same opportunities accessible to them i think it's going to be kind of opening doors for people like that and i'm i'm kind of just focusing on that portion of it and um 
you know, trying to help contribute where I can to keep it legit in the ways I know how. Right. So that that was going to answer my next question was what you were most excited about is basically the exposure and uh, just getting these kids the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it's the goal is to be able to, if you love skateboarding, to be able to skate as much as possible and, and hopefully make a career out of it if you're, if you're decent enough, you know, and I think this offers another path to do that for a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. Do you, were you instrumental at all? The, I don't know your relationship with Lizzie, but did you know about her decision and stuff? And did you weigh in on that at all? Or she definitely handled that on her own. I'm, I'm actually not super tight with Lizzie. Like I just see her here and there. Um, I definitely know Alicia a little better. Like I've known Alicia since she was a little kid and um, yeah, Lizzie's got her own thing going and um, she's definitely been strategic and has done well for herself. I mean, she's ranked really high. I think she's ranked like top five in the world right now. And being um, from Finland, like, you know, they don't have 20 other women ripping from there yet. They might after this Olympics, but I think that gives her an advantage, but she's already, she's already placed high regardless. Like she's doing well. So yeah, that's all her. She's, she's got her own thing going. It's obviously, yeah, going to be a sim simpler path to get there through. Finland has less uh, competition than U.S. would. Right. It's a strategy, right? It's like if your goal is to be in Tokyo, like what's the best way to achieve that goal? I'm sure that's where the decision came from and uh, yeah. makes sense. So. Totally. So with this coronavirus, what are we doing? Like what – how how are you looking at this? Are you, I mean, I've been kind of doing the one day at a time thing, but uh, I got to be honest, yesterday I really started to be the white privileged man complaining about his uh, one bedroom apartment. I'm just a person that needs to get out every once in a while and, and not being able to do that. It's been really uh, challenging for me lately, especially. Um I think you have a yard down there and stuff, right? Yeah, I have my own little spot. So I'm like solo quarantining, which has its own set of mental challenges. Um, right. I actually, I don't know. I I feel guilty kind of saying this, but I've kind of enjoyed it. Like I've enjoyed the, the slow pace and the solitude. And I mean, just traveling so much. Like I don't typically get breaks like this very often. And, um, yeah, it's been nice true. to like reflect a little bit. Um, but also like I'm waiting for my house plants to start talking back to me, you know, like it's, <laughs> there's only so much alone time you can have. Um, so yeah, I'm sure this is going to get old real soon here. Yeah. I mean, I think the good news is most people I've talked to is like, we're all agreeing that after this is said and done, hopefully people are going to appreciate people more and, and things that maybe they took for granted and stuff. And this is kind of putting things a little more into perspective, hopefully for that kind of stuff where maybe the future will be a little brighter. Absolutely. I 100% agree. I even notice it with strangers, like just going on runs typically, I don't know, Southern California, people don't really make eye contact, you know, and like people are waving and I'm waving and it's just like this totally different dynamic, um, even just running down the road. So I, yeah, I agree. I think, um, I think we'll savor 
everyday moments a little more after this and maybe appreciate the little things more. Tough one to talk about, but I, I think that I, I'd like to if you're down. Um, so it's, you know, a week or two into the pandemic and you're kind of struggling with like the reality of this and how it's all like unfolding and how much uncertainty is and, and all that. And then uh, I get a text message from a good friend telling me that he's pretty sure Jeff Grosso had passed away. Um that was really hard. <laughs> uh, it still is, but um, I don't know. And I, I don't know how you heard or felt about it when you did, but that's a an interesting thing to like not be able to come together when you need to. Losing somebody important to you and then being like, fuck, I'm still stuck in this house. It's like, that was very challenging for me yeah i think um i think it was definitely a different environment to be dealing with loss like that i actually lost my aunt like three days before that so i was like holy shit now jeff like it was just really yeah really heavy and you know i had some of the younger kids texting me like i'm so upset like i don't know what to do and like i'm just like you know what like enjoy tomorrow like you have tomorrow he doesn't and you know, just put some good energy out there and like make the most of your life. And, but yeah, it's super gnarly. It's super gnarly, super sad. Like his, his life, he affected so many people in a positive way. It's kind of what I was left with, but, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely different to be stuck at home and not be able to get together, like, you know, celebrate someone like that. Do you have anything special that you look back on a a time or a place or something that you've shared with him that you kind of look back at makes you smile? Yeah, we actually, we both hated going fakie. I still hate going fakie. I don't, I don't skate as much as I used to like ramps and stuff, but yeah, we would be like sessioning out in Ramona or somewhere and just talking about how we hate rock the fakies. And I'm like, man, I'd rather like spin a frontside five than do a rock fakie. Like he's like, he'd always tell me the airplane only goes one direction. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm going to use that. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Okay. Good, 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 good. Yeah. Fucking big love for Grosso. I've lost some close friends and I've seen this happen, but man, the social media thing, I, I can't really wrap my head around where I truly stand with it. Um, the overwhelming pour out is just very impressive and, um, flattering, I guess, for the person and everything. Sometimes I find myself getting a little irritated with people jumping on the bandwagon sort of thing type of thing, but it is crazy to kind of forget about it for a second and go to your Instagram out of habit, and then wha-bam! I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. You seem like you're kind of a therapist for the young girls. Is that is that kind of the take we're going? Do you get a lot of pe- people asking you for advice? Yeah, I've been told that before. But you know what's funny is they help me just as much. Like, I don't know, some, some of the girls, like if I'm having issues and I tell them, like, they're just as much my therapist. So, um, but yeah, that's definitely been said before. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's rewarding to be able to have those connections with them. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, 
definitely given my life more meaning, I would say. Rad. Um, can we do the uh, name game where I mention someone's name and you kind of say quickly the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, God, I'll try. I'm not very quick. Just giving you a warning. Well, I got editing skills, so we can take okay, the dead good. space out. <laughs> we'll start with Nora Vasconcelos. Um, my God, it's so hard. Goofball. She's just a goofball. I can't even think of anything clever. She's just a goofball. <laughs> she makes me laugh. What about Alana Smith? Alana is a giant dork, and that's why we love her. Did Alana do the mega ramp? Alana did like 25 things that were first that no one ever did. Um, yeah, Alana. She backflipped the mini mega. I don't know that she. I don't know that she did the regular mega ramp. And she spun um, a five forty, right? Oh yeah, she's she's landed multiple fives. She's landed fives like in a contest at Bird Attack and didn't even tell us she was going to do them. And just is spinning like face high fives in her run. I love Alana. Yeah, she's she's extremely naturally talented and extremely kind person. She's awesome. The first time I met her was in uh, Arizona at the Jagger Eaton Indoor Facility. And uh, she was skating the tranny, you know, like, oh, fuck, she rips. And then we're down. It was like some D.C. trip or something I was on. And uh, she tray flips, like, first try, like, over this, uh, just over, like, a pyramid thing. And I'm like... She did that so good. I was like, oh, shit, this is an all-terrain vehicle here. She really is. She's one of the, I would say she's one of the only women that really is gnarly in everything. In everything, huh? She can skate everything. Big love, Alana, if you're listening. Uh, Alyssa Steamer. Legend. Just straight legend. I remember I was in Barcelona one time, probably 2004. I didn't know much about anything and um i left the hotel it was like for some girl skate camp there and Alyssa was out there but um i left the hotel to like go to the store get food or something and i was walking down this cobblestone like really steep street and there was this like huge gap like from an upper level down to the street and i just saw her like all the way over the whole thing like just out of nowhere, no one was filming, like no one was even there. And I'm just like, what the fuck was that? Like, I was like, oh my God, it's Alyssa Steamer. Like, yeah, she just made such a big impression on me. And she was always, she's always been super nice and just friendly, you know, and I appreciate that. Not everyone's like that. Yeah, she's um, great. Yeah. She's uh, awesome. Nicole House. Nicole is, I would say, I think she's a dark horse. I think she's coming for everybody. She's really? uh yeah. She's ripping right now. She's got more drive and determination. She does not give up and she takes slams. Like she's she's a threat because of that. Like she is just going for it and um it's been fun to see her grow up and and learn how to skate and become the skater that she is. Rad. Uh Jen O'Brien. Jen O'Brien. All I remember is the first time I dropped it on her, Jen was standing next to me and she goes, dude, you just opened up a whole new can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that. Jen, Jen's awesome. She's, she's a sweetheart. Jody McDonald. Oh my goodness. 
Jody is amazing. I actually didn't meet Jody until 2007 or so. Oh. Um, and she was house, house sitting for Carabeth. We just clicked right away, like right away. We were like fighting within the first 48 hours. I knew her. And uh, yeah, we just connected. And she is a very special human and amazing person. I miss her. And we'll end with CB. CB is, I would say, like no one else. Probably one of the most generous people I've ever met. Always thinking about everybody else. Even if, you know, she's, I remember when I was younger, like she was doing really well, but she always wanted to make sure everybody else was doing well too. And yeah, just legendary skateboarder holding it down for a hundred years. So all of us could be here, you know? Thank mm -hmm. you, CB. Fuck yes. Uh, okay. Before we go, I want you to think about a good song that you want to end this with that will lead to. And while you're thinking about that, I want to hear the story about how you became known in the van as the big homie. Oh my God. I don't even really know how that happened. I think it came from someone's Spotify playlist. That song, Big Homie, came on. You could go to any hood, let they know me. Rose gold, pinky ring, master rolling. Boy, use a little nigga. Garrett Coleman. I be calling all the shots. like a two-week trip to Tahoe and San Francisco. We came out and met up with you to film for Hoopla. Yeah. And yeah, it just sucked. Like, they, you know, we're all crammed in a hotel room and they're just calling me Big Homie the whole time. <laughs> and that's just, they just still do it. <laughs> do they? Okay, yes. Rad, I love that. That's funny. That trip kind of stamped, like, your guys' camaraderie, your, your, your guys' family feel, like, and since girls have gone separate ways and done different things or whatever, always they speak highly of you and how those decisions were never easy. And just, I don't know, it speaks volumes for like the type of person you are. I think it's been really cool for me to like get to know you, get to know how you operate, watch the people that are in your life. And I appreciate that. That's really nice of you to say that. No, nah, it's all true though. I don't know. Anything else we need to touch base on? Anything I may have overlooked that you want to talk about? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked to finally do this with you and appreciate uh, being included. And I can't wait to see what the future holds for all of us <laughs> after this year. Yeah. It's like Groundhog's Day right now, <laughs> literally. It is, but it's going to pass. Like, we're going to wake up and it's going to be over one day. And I just just get ready for it, you know, like it's coming and yeah. hopefully like everyone will, hopefully we, we won't know many people that really get sick with this thing, you know, and hopefully the numbers will stay down and, but it's going to pass and we'll be back to normal life and we'll be tired and ready to do nothing again real soon. Fuck yeah. Okay, <laughs> cool. Well, um, do you got a jam you want to end this with? Yeah, I'm going to go with slow tie doorman all right thank you so much um for taking the time out and i know 
Big love, Mimi, and I'm sure we'll be talking or hopefully seeing each other soon. Good luck with everything. Thank you, Smitty. Thanks for having me, and uh, keep up the awesome work. Your podcast is rad. How's business this morning? Pretty good. I made about 12, 13 quid, and that was about not having any arguments with anyone. That's pretty much a strike. If you don't, you're going to get your head kicked in. Shoot a messenger, string them up. She's a 10 plus 10, not enough. Mixed messages, wise cross. Marry me, but you got too much. Toothbrush and socks. Parents, minute, made fair couple dogs. We go on walks, she never talks. I put my heart out, she laps up my blood. Blue light, double vision. Our races like super cars. Two drinks, the room spinning. Zebedee, you're the ace of cards. High society. shout outs uh i want to give it up to clive for your creeper part i just got that sent to me insane i want to give it up to colin mr fence flyer and i want to give it up to mr grimble uh greg sent me that part watched it been sending it to people uh insane you guys uh mind-boggling i also want to give it up to brian herman just watched your shit i don't care it's timeless when you're a ripper I want to give it up to Spanky, too. Uh, just watch yours right after him because it connects. Anyways, you guys are uh, inspiration, motivation, and just straight rippers for the right reasons. I give my love to you guys. As well as I want to give it back to Nessa Darps one more time. 
because her comment section is blown up with McKenny comments to the point where she probably hates me. But I give love on every uh, one that I see. So props to you guys and your video parts and all the love and motivation and everything. So stay up. Get through the virus. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at talkingschmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.